This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. We are going to talk about some interesting things today. I think we're going to talk about J.D. Martinez, who still hasn't signed with the team, even though he's an elite power bat. But we're going to look back to look forward. We're going to see how previous versions of J.D. Martinez have aged. We're going to look at Jose Martinez, who is my new favorite player. Uh, if you thought Tommy Pham had the Cardinals breakout last year, you were wrong. It was actually Jose Martinez. Very interesting StatCast data there. We're going to talk about if the Yankees are going to break the all-time home run record, uh, I guess a week after we talked about if they'd have the best bullpen of all time so maybe now we're the unofficial show of the Yankees even though neither one of us grew up as Yankee fans and finally we are going to look at some of the remaining big name free agents and we're going to find uh, our favorite places for them to land that are not the obvious spot I'm so frustrated and exhausted by thinking about J.D. Martinez to the Red Sox I want to think about him going somewhere else so I've got a couple names in mind right do you want to start with J.D. Martinez Let's talk J.D. Martinez, but we won't tease our our mystery teams until later. No, we will not. Uh, we did this a couple weeks ago with Lorenzo Cain, I thought, because we looked back at previous versions of Lorenzo Cain, and we looked at how they aged going forward, and I thought that was pretty interesting. We, we, we certainly came up with some fun names, you know, from the 80s and 90s. So I did exactly the same thing for J.D. Martinez, and in order to find those kind of names, you have to kind of find the player J.D. Martinez is. So I think we can all agree, an elite power bat, right? No doubt about this. Last year, uh, 690 slugging percentage. That was the highest slugging percentage of any player in the last decade, which is amazing it's, if you think about that. I mean, I, I don't think people realize, and I've, I've probably said this on the show before, and I know I've said it to a few other people, he had a higher slugging percentage than Judge and Stanton. Like, he had a ridiculous year. Literally everybody. And, and as we've said before, I know he got a whole lot of hype because he went to Arizona and started crushing homers. This was not an Arizona creation. He has been fantastic for the last four years since he turned his career around. I believe since the dawn of the StatCast era, he has the most total barrels. I think that's right. I think that's right, yeah, because Judge didn't play all three years. And yes, I think that's correct. Uh, if you go back to 2014, this is when he got cut by the Astros, landed with Detroit, became one of the really early uh, you know, launch angle guys before there even was a launch angle to talk about. Since 2014, he has a 148 weighted runs created plus, where 100 is league average. That is tied for fourth best in baseball with Harper and Goldschmidt. He is a top five hitter in baseball. There's, there's no argument there as far as I'm concerned. He's an elite power bat. However, not a very strong defender. I don't, I don't think there's that much of an argument there. And he just turned 30 in August. So a team will be buying his you know, early 30s, and we want to know what other similar players looked like as they age. So I went back through uh, the last 40, four, last 40 years since 1977, and I looked for outfielders who were entering their age 30 seasons, and I looked at what they did over their three seasons leading up to that. So their age 27, 28, and 9 seasons. And the way I found these guys, I looked for players who had a weighted runs created plus of 135 or higher, so very, very good bats. Had a slugging percentage over 500 because I didn't want Tony Gwynn types. I wanted a real power bat. Uh, and per fan graphs had a negative defensive value. That seems to describe J.D. Martinez pretty well for me. And we came up with 21 names, and I'm really satisfied with some of these names because some of these guys I didn't even think about in terms of J.D. Martinez. And then I look back, and it's like, Oh my God, Danny Tartable. Yes, that's amazing. Sheffield, Juan Gonzalez, Albert Bell. I'm not going to read all 21 names. You can look at the article we posted. Uh, but you, you know, Kevin Mitchell, Pedro Guerrero, 
this is perfect. These are exactly the kind of players that that I wanted, right? When you when you saw this list, uh, this this makes sense, right? Totally, totally. It's a perfect list. I actually think uh, Kevin Mitchell is sort of might be the perfect comp. Is sort of a late bloomer who didn't really come into his power until after he'd been in the league a few years. Um, ended up winning an MVP award. Was an elite player for a short period of time, and then kind of just. Uh, well, I mean, hopefully J.D. Martinez ages more gratefully than Gary. Well, that's the thing. Is there some divergent paths here? I mean, some of these guys were successful well into their 30s. Uh, Albert Bell was done by 33 because he got hurt. Josh Hamilton is a whole separate situation, obviously, with his off-field stuff. And there were there were a couple best-case scenarios, right? If I, The way I sort of thought about this is J.D. Martinez, at, at the best, is going to get a six-year deal, right? No one's going to go seven or eight years. So we're really looking... Uh, between ages 30 and 30 and 35, right? Yeah. Six years. And uh, six of these guys averaged three wins above replacement over the next six years. So that would be an above average near star player. Sheffield, Berkman, Holiday, Manny Ramirez, uh, Bobby Abreu, and Bernie Williams. And those are obviously some different players. You know, Berkman ended up playing a lot more first base, but I think that's fair. The point is you don't really expect him to be playing every day in the outfield for the next six years. So if you had a, an outcome like that, I think you'd feel pretty good about it. And then, of course, there's the other side of it. Uh, like I said, Hamilton had knee injuries and shoulder injuries and off-field problems. Uh, done at 32. Bell was done at 33. Tartable, Dunn, and Green all done after 34. So there are obviously possible downsides here. And uh, while well, well, I don't consider him injury-prone, he did break his elbow two years ago. He hurt his foot last year. Uh, you know, I don't like to say he's never played 162 games because the first few years were just performance-based. But he's had his injuries, and he's not—he's not getting younger. I mean, that's my big concern with with Martinez. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm not saying he's injury prone, but at the same time, players who get hurt tend to. This more applies to pitchers, but it applies to position players too. Guys who get hurt tend to get hurt more often. Right, and it's just—it's sort of like it sort of builds on itself. You know, he played 158 games in 2015, but uh, 2016, 120. This past year, 119. That's not a great sign, particularly since he's also like his body type. He's not like a athletic player he's not like a loose lean he's, player he's he's not you know, lorenzo kane yeah right? that's that's what we looked at last time and we found that the kane times are very uh, fast and athletic and so they had a little bit more of a, of a drop to accommodate i mean when you look at the best case scenario like group that you sort of put together to me matt holiday is is like is is what right. you want to you're hoping for because i don't think sheffield's a great comp sheffield and manny are not great comps because those guys were phenoms they came up they were like great from the age so yes they're right-handed hitting left fielders who can field but they were elite from the age of 18 they were super prospects like they had the pedigree um you know Berkman switch hitter I don't I don't I like you like to try and keep comps of you know guys who are sort of the same profile so to me Holiday is the best comp he was he was a you know a highly regarded prospect but not like elite and it took him a couple years to kind of come into his own so and not a great defender a little awkward out there to me he's kind of like he's the great. best case scenario and, for Martinez and reached free agency at the exact same time exactly and, exactly and I, I will say you know there's a lot of talk about how these nine figure contracts haven't worked out very well for teams Holiday's an exception he was one of the guys with these long term deals actually worked out pretty well he was he was good for the Cardinals pretty much every year that yeah I remember that uh, that off season he and Jason Bay were two left fielders with quote unquote similar profiles who hit the market at the same time. And well, you know, we know how that turned out. So you should, uh, you know, hopefully go read this whole article, but I would like to just share some kind of takeaways here. This group was really good at 30 years old, right? Uh, everybody was above average. Everyone who was healthy had a good year. Uh, they averaged over three, three wins above replacement. 14 of these guys hit 20 homers. 30 was a great year. 31 was also a great year. Kirk Gibson won the MVP that year. Uh, three and a half wins above replacement. That was the average. They averaged 576 plate appearances. One or two guys got hurt, but that was a pretty good year. 
at 32, it was solid, right? Uh, these guys averaged almost 600 plate appearances, so only three guys failed to play 100 games. They were healthy. They were really good. Six guys had four wins above replacement years. Kirby Puckett finished second in the MVP. So just based on on that, I think to myself, okay, the next three years for J.D. Martinez, it's going to be really good. And then at 33, this is where the paths diverge considerably. Of the 20 guys who are still playing, 10 of them had below average years. And there's a couple different ways to get to below average. I mean, some of them were, you know, still hitting, but the defense was totally shot at that point. Um, you know, a lot of these guys like Albert Bell had a 104 weighted runs created plus uh, and a 0.9 war. Uh, excuse me, uh, that was Dave Parker. And that's like an average bat and terrible de- defense. So that's a possible outcome. Uh, but then you have like Magli Ordonez, who had the best year of his career. He slugged almost 600, was worth eight war. And uh, six guys had wind above replacement of three or more. But here you have half of the guys are pretty much not valuable anymore. 34 gets pretty ugly. 14 of them were below average. Now Sheffield and Parker at top three MVP finishes. And at 35, only two were star levels. So the outcome here, it seems to me, you know, obviously with health, three pretty good seasons. And then the offense maybe declines and the defense is gone and the value is not great. Yeah, I mean, in a vacuum, I really wouldn't want, based on what I think he's going to, not in a vacuum, based on what I think he's going to get and sort of, you know, understanding aging curves and payroll and all that stuff, I probably wouldn't want him. I, I, I think the downs, I think there's a lot of downside here, but, you know, and we'll get to the mystery teams in a second. The Red Sox still kind of box themselves into a corner because they're trying to compete with the Yankees to win that division. And they've basically built this team where they've, they've tried to become like a, you know, a stars free, built through free agency kind of team with a couple of, you know, young homegrown guys. So it's kind of like, if they don't, go, if they suddenly they decide now is the time for fiscal responsibility, it seems yeah. like an odd time to pick I, to pick to draw that line. I agree with you on that. I think I disagree with you about uh, not. I mean, it's hard to find a bat this good. So the reported offer is five years and one hundred twenty-five million. I would be happy with that if I was a team. I would not guarantee a six-year or beyond that, and I think that's what they're looking for. And so, I mean, for for a uh, for an AL team, at least you feel a little bit better that you kind of have a place to to play them at, at DH. Uh, well, let's go from JD Martinez to Jose Martinez. And for the record, I did look this up. His middle name is Alberto. It is not another J.D. Martinez. That would have made me very happy. Uh, but quickly before we do, let's take a second to tell you about our friends at the Fantasy 4-in-1 podcast. Never too early to start prepping for your 2018 fantasy draft. And listening to the 4-in-1 with Fred Zinke and Matthew Each will give you an edge no matter what format you play. They'll break down the latest hot news, hot stove news all offseason, including how to value old faces in new places like Garrett Cole, Andrew McCutcheon, and Addison Reed. Draft time will be here before you know it, so subscribe to the Fantasy 4-in-1 podcast on Apple Podcasts today. Now, let me ask you, before I wrote about Jose Martinez a couple of days ago, what did you know, if anything, about Jose Martinez? Uh, I knew he hit the ball hard. I knew, he, I knew he, I'd seen him on exit velocity, like leaderboards, or hard hit rate leaderboards, but I, I did not know much more about him than that. Yeah, Jose Martinez, for those that don't know, is a uh, infielder, a first baseman outfielder for the St. Louis Cardinals. And last year, he hit 307 with a 379 on base and a 518 slugging percentage. That is obviously really, really good. However, he only did it in 307 plate appearances, and that was his first year in the big leagues, and he turns 30 in July. So this is not exactly the profile you look for for an elite slugger. Uh, but when you see that kind of line, I think, you know, from a guy you don't know anything about, the question is, is this real or is this a fluke? We've seen guys come up and be hot for a month or two before. And I'm going to come down on the, the side of real, and I'm going to say this because of the StatCast data. We looked at the expected weighted on-base leaders in 2017. This accounts for uh, quality of contact, ex-velocity and launch angle, and also amount of contact, so plate discipline. And if you look at the 301 hitters who had 250 plate appearances, here are the top five in expected weighted on-base. Number one, Aaron Judge. Sure. Number two, Joey Votto. Okay. Number three, Mike Trout. Number four, J.D. Martinez. 
Number five, Jose Martinez. Like, and I get it. He didn't have 600 plate appearances. Totally understood. But the fact is, in that amount of sample time, he destroyed the ball. And let me compare him to two other partial guys real quick, because who got all the hype for having, like, hot partial seasons? Reese Hoskins had a 399 expected weighted on base in 212 plate appearances. Martinez had a 411 expected weighted on base. Matt Olson, who crushed all those homers for Oakland, had a 380 expected weighted on base. So even just comparing him to, like, the hot partial guys, granted he's several years older— he had a fantastic season. There's no doubt about that. He crushed, and uh, the, the data is real there. And that's also, I mean, that's part of why, you know, we, we're buying into him, essentially, is because, you know, the bad, the quality of contact is there. This is not, you know, the, you know, before we had StatCast, you'd have to just, you'd have to look at BabBip and sort of kind of surmise, like, uh, this looks real, this looks doesn't, how much is this just driven by bloopers or, you know, lucky, you know, home runs that just cleared the fence, that kind of thing, but... The uh, the, uh, the the batted ball contact is real, and it is spectacular. It is spectacular. <laughs> when I see a guy kind of uh, come out of nowhere and, and have a season like you would never expect, uh, my first question is why? You know, because I think I would buy into this a little less if this was just a guy who all of a sudden, with no explanation whatsoever, started hitting the ball. And when I dug into this a little more deeply, I actually found some compelling reasons why. Uh, this was a guy who had some pretty serious knee problems. But by 2011, when we, he entered the pros in, 20, in 2006. By 2011, he'd already had three right knee surgeries. He'd missed all of 2009. And he was reportedly, and I, I could not independently confirm this, but I saw at least one article suggest he was the first player to ever make it back from a full meniscus transplant in his knee. Uh, which is which is stunning. I mean, that's awesome. So reason number one, health, right? Reason number two, uh, he changed his approach. And this is a story you've heard about a billion times. He's six foot six. So he's a pretty big guy. But he had never hit double digit home runs in his life until 2015, when he hit uh, 384, 461, 563 in AAA. So that was 2015. Took a little step back in 2016. And then prior to 2017, he said that he started uh, watching some video of guys like Josh Donaldson and Miguel Cabrera. And here's the quote. We noticed that they don't hit ground balls. They eliminate them. So I tried to do that too. And if you look at his ground ball percentage in the minors, it was always like 55%, 56%. Last year in the bigs, 42%. So I see a guy who is a large human being, who's top 20 in the majors in exit velocity last year, as you noted, is healthy and decided that ground balls are bad. And the production followed. I mean, that, that this is what we want Yandy Diaz to do, basically, right? And, and obviously, we've the guy, there's numerous players we've talked on this podcast many times who sort of like transformed themselves at that age or older and became stars. So the, we now know it's not unheard of for players with inherent skills to sort of do something different. Light bulb goes off. Daniel Murphy, Justin Turner. Uh, Jose Bautista is the one I keep thinking Jose of. Jose Bautista. J.D. Martinez. Right, like. <laughs> exactly right. It's possible. Like, generally, you wouldn't bet on it because it's unlikely, but certainly we've seen these things happen. Uh, and I looked back for the last couple of seasons because you always want to know, like, how does this stuff persist to the next year? So I looked uh, in, in 2015, the top 25 guys in expected weighted on base. You know, I want to know, is it real? Is it possible to be that good and collapse the next year? So in 2015, of the 25 leaders in expected weighted on base, 22 of them had above average seasons the next year. Uh, and of the three who didn't, Lucas Duda hurt his back and A-Rod and Mark Teixeira were like, you know, 38 years old or older. And that was it for them. Uh, when I looked at the 2016 of the top 25, uh, 23 of them played in 2017. Two didn't, David Ortiz being one of them. Of those 23, 18 went on to have above average seasons. And of the ones who didn't, several were older and injured. Pujols, Victor Martinez. So uh, obviously anything can happen. He could be terrible next year. But everything I see here says to me, this is a guy you really want to like watch. I think he's going to be really good. Yeah, the one the ones that I pulled out on him because I was curious because someone raised it uh, to Mike on Twitter was like, well, what about his platoon splits? So I said, okay, well, let's go look at his expected weight on base uh, via platoon splits, right? 
because you always worry maybe he's just beating up on lefties. So I went and looked up against right-handed hitters. His expected weight on base against right-handed pitchers. His expected weight on base against right-handed pitchers was 377 uh, among uh, the 258 players who had at least 50 ABs against right-handed hitters who had at least 50 ABs against right-handed pitchers. That ranks 13th. 13th That's out of 58. That's really good. That's really good. Against left-handed pitchers, <laughs> his expected weight on base was 530. The major league average last year was 314. <laughs> 530. That was by far the best amongst uh Right-hand hitters against left-hand pitchers. Number two was J.D. Martinez at 492. And then so, Stanton, Turner, and Judge. So nobody good. Yeah. So he's absolutely demolishing left-hand pitching, but still holding his own against right-hand pitching. So he's not just a platoon a platoon guy. This guy can hit. Yeah, and I'm not suggesting that they immediately install him as the starting first baseman. They have too many outfielders. He's not going to find time there. But I could see, you know, every uh, every once in a while, maybe Carpenter plays third base. You know, things can shift around. They have a lot of versatility there. I wouldn't go out and sign Hosmer, I guess. I'd rather see this guy play than Hosmer. And they also, I mean, the the Cardinals have done a lot this offseason to sort of like clear their roster, and they're they've clearly opened up a spot for him. You know, they've said Fam is going to be in center, Fowler Fowler in right, Ozuna in left. left, and they've traded Grichuk. They just traded him last week to the Blue Jays, and they traded Piscotty and Sierra. Yeah, so they are they've cleared the decks. Like yeah. this is this is their team, they, and that suggests the fact that they did it suggests that they have a lot of faith in Jose Martinez. You know what? I do too, and I can't <laughs> wait to watch him. Let's talk about another record the Yankees might break. I can't believe this is two weeks in a row for us. We'll have to come up with something else for next week. I, you know, the Yankees last year hit 241 home runs. And I get it. Everybody hit home runs. It was a, a record across Major League Baseball. Uh, the Yankees led baseball in 241 home runs. That was the 16th highest total in the history of baseball. So right away, last year's Yankees crushed a lot of home runs. Now they have Giancarlo Stanton, which is really ridiculous when you think about it. So I think you have to ask the question, will this team with Stanton break the all-time Major League record for home runs? That is 264, held by the 1997 Mariners of Ken Griffey and Jay Buhner and Edgar Martinez. That was a, a really fun lineup. Uh, I guess that's that's the way to put it, right? With Stanton, will they hit an additional 23 home runs? And I, I'm certainly not going to be the guy who says, yes, they will, but I'm going to say, yes, they can, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's hard to know with the team right now because you know that top four of Stanton, Judge, Sanchez, Bird, you know, it's easy to see what 150 home runs from that. If all quart- goes well, yeah, from that quartet. Um, but then right now, their second and third base situations are completely up in the air. Right. So it's it's really hard to know until we know who's going to be. Because I still don't believe that they're going to go to opening day with you know, and hard as or, good as a prospect no, as Andor Hart is. So. Like this is a win now team. They're not going to hand the job to uh, Andor third and uh, Tyler Wade and Ronald Torres. <laughs> yeah, no, that's just not going to happen. I agree. So we'll kind of get a better sense once they fill out the rest of their roster. But you're starting from a good place with the, the quartet I just mentioned. Well, so this is uh, it's more than just a thought experiment. I actually ran some numbers. So there, are, there are projections, right? And you've got to go with the projections because you can't just assume everybody's going to repeat the year that they had last year. And the two, our two favorite projection systems are Steamer and Zips. So they usually correspond pretty well. I think they both had Brett Gardner hitting you know, 14 or 15 home runs. Uh, but the playing time was a little different. So what I did is I looked at each one and I got their expected uh, home runs per plate appearance uh, average the two, and then I just looked at the Fangraphs depth chart projections to get playing time. And I did that uh, for everybody on the Yankees, and the total for that, when you put it all together, is 250. Now, that's not quite the record, but it's close. And as you said, this is with nobody who's going to hit for power at second base and third base. Uh, of the, that foursome that we talked about, Tyler Wade, Gleyber Torres, Ronald Torres, Miguel Andahar, they are currently projected for 1,470 plate appearances and 29 home runs. That is one home run over every 51 plate appearances. Now you replace that with, let's just say, Todd Frazier. Uh, hits one home run every 21 plate appearances. You know, put in a, a Neil Walker or a Brandon Phillips. It, it doesn't even matter. Just anyone with like some amount of major league power, and 
this is easily going to be a team that's going to challenge this record, I think. And obviously, you know, who knows? Is Aaron Judge going to repeat his year? I have no idea. Is Stanton going to stay healthy? I'm huge on Greg Bird. I really, I think Greg Bird is going to be a breakout star, but he's also not shown he can stay healthy. So there's, there's questions, no doubt. If, if Bird stays healthy, I think he's going to 35 home runs. I agree. I, 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 I'm on the record that Greg Bird, if healthy, will have a better offensive season than Hosmer will next year. I think I don't, I don't even think that's a hot. T- that is a mild take. It is a mild take. I know it concerned. is. No, I, but he he gets kind of lost, you know. Stanton, Judge, Sanchez. I mean, what, what's useful for the Yankees is you have these two monsters, right? Stanton and Judge, and then I guess Sanchez as well. But you have a couple other guys with power. Like Didi Gregorius is all of a sudden a twenty home run hitter. Uh, Brett Gardner showed some power last year. Aaron Hicks, if he's healthy, has some power. Yeah, and I mean, Steamer is actually pretty conservative on Judge with thirty seven homers and. You know, I guess he doesn't. He only has one year of track record, and he strikes out a lot. So obviously, there's you know, there's some variance there. But my thing about Judge is not only did he lead the league in barrels, which is the optimal contact type of contact uh, for extra base hits and home runs, he set the three year record by a lot. He had like 82, I think. The previous record was I forget. I should have looked this up. 75. But like, the point is that these weren't flukes. Like I remember a few years ago looking at. um, you know, on the hit tracker online or the home run database, they track like just enough homers, homers that just cleared the fence. I remember one year I was like doing research for my fantasy draft, and it was the year after Ryan Zimmerman had had a career high, his career year hit like 38. And I looked and he'd like let the league in just enough homers. And it was like, okay, like this gives me some pause. You know, it wasn't the most scientific thing, but I was like, okay, this gives me some pause. But like we know that Judge is hitting the ball with the like optimal contact the most of anyone. So to me, again, if healthy, you put that caveat on anyone, there's no reason to think he won't be. To me, Aaron Judge is 40 home runs easy. I remember he hit, what, 52 last yeah. year? Uh, basically took a month off of contact, right? He had that terrible stretch where he wasn't making any contact. And he needed off-season shoulder surgery. So there's an argument that he wasn't 100% healthy, even though he went off in September and was fantastic. Uh, it does help that Yankee Stadium is a very favorable place to hit home runs. Judge, Have you seen Judge's home road splits? Last year at home, 33 home runs, 725 slugging. On the road, 19 home runs and a 531 slugging. That, that helps, obviously. And that's one thing that's interesting about him is that he does... He does hit home runs the opposite way, unlike a lot of like the true sluggers of 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 today. Like he will sort of like flick flick home runs towards the old uh, judges' chambers out there in right field. Yeah, and if you look at the uh, if you look at home runs uh, on balls with a hit probability of twenty percent or under, so balls that aren't usually even hits, much less home runs. Uh, Houston had the most with twenty five. That makes a whole lot of sense. Cincinnati and Colorado were second and third, and Yankee Stadium was fourth. So it is possible. I think this is the Didi Gregorius story. Probably if you just smack the ball uh, down the right field line to get a quote-unquote, easy home run. Anyway, I think um, once they do get another infielder, which I think we both agree that they will, whether Frazier, Mustafa, who knows, uh, we're going to maybe run these numbers again, and maybe we'll already be saying that they're going to break the record. Uh, Finally, let's talk about some free agents. Like I said, I'm exhausted about J.D. Martinez to the Red Sox. Like, it just hasn't happened yet. I don't know if it's going to happen. And then there's so many other guys out there, right? We've come up with a list, uh, each of us, independently, so I have no idea which ones Matt's are going to be. He doesn't know what mine are going to be, of, you know, other teams that should be stepping up and saying, you know what, this guy's still out there. Maybe I can get him for a little bit less than I thought. Maybe I'm ready to make a move a year earlier than I thought. Now is the time to buy. Uh, and so we've both come up with a couple of, of names, and we've probably mentioned these guys in passing on this show before, but here's like our official list. Um, and my first one, you know, Lorenzo Kane, Cleveland, right? Cleveland. I, I think Cleveland needs an outfielder so badly. I don't think there's one outfielder in Cleveland I trust right now. You look at the left field, Michael Brantley, 101 games the last two seasons, coming off another injury. Bradley Zimmer, who we love Bradley Zimmer, but 
hit a 307 on base last year, 81 weighted runs created plus. He hasn't actually shown he's an everyday player for a World Series champion. And in right field, Lonnie Chisinau had 270 plate appearances last year. And then you have Brandon Geyer, Melvin Upton. Why not Kane? Why not Kane? I think it's for them. It's mostly that I think that they're they've they're the kind of team that's you know they spent big on Encarnacion last offseason. Um, they they acquired Andrew Miller the the deadline before, so I think they're a team that just basically has been a you know we they run on a a fairly fairly strict budget, and I think that might be just be the biggest you know factor. But it, he's he's a fit. Kane is a fit. Yeah, I think you're right, but I also think it feels like their window is now right. Like Kluber and Miller are going to be free agents in what one and two years, something think, along yeah. those lines. Miller's got one more year left. Right, uh, and I'm not saying that means that they won't be good again after two years. They still have Lindor and a lot of young talent, but it feels like now is the time for them. Yeah, it's it's certainly a fit. I actually have a, I have another place for Kane that I think okay. you should go ahead and get him. Is it the Rockies? No, it's it is not the, the Rockies. Rockies. The Nationals. That's interesting. I remember I wanted that to be a trade last year when when Eaton was hurt. I well, I mean, sense. you know, Eaton's supposed to be back, but right now, like, it's an injury. You don't know what you're going to get. Uh, Michael Taylor, I like him as a player, but I'm still not sure I love him to be like, oh, I'm definitely counting on you for, you know, 500 plate appearances or whatever. You know, because of the injury, because of Eaton's injury history, you want a little depth there. Again, another win-now team that has shown a willingness to spend on free agents. It just feels like... There's going to be a bat because of the outfield situation. There's going to be a bat for him, and he's a, just he's a better player than Michael Taylor. Yeah, I agree. And I, yeah, I guess those guys do have somewhat of an injury history you as well. Know, you know, I, you know, someone mentioned this to me yesterday. Like, what about you know, what about JD Martinez, the Nationals, which kind of makes sense because Boris and the Nationals always yeah. seem to find each other. But to me, the issue there is is he'd have to play the field, and that is to me uh, a well, deal breaker. Well, you're not going to like one of my picks in a second. <laughs> what about Victor Robles? Basically, ready now. Um. Win now, team. You want you like you figure that out later. Like you, you know, out the, as, as I've said before on the show, without fielders, you can always mix and match. Harper will, will almost certainly be gone in a year. Um, again, you're not going to guarantee that Robles gets you know the full playing time this year. I think you want to make sure you have that depth. We st- we constantly still uh, overrate uh, expe- expect too much out of players' health. I think depth. You know, we've seen it with you know the Dodgers have shown. Obviously, they have the luxury of resources, but like. Depth is so valuable when you can have it, and to me, Kane and the Nationals would sort of okay. really separate them. I'll buy it. I like it. That I don't think it'll happen. But no, I, I like I. it. I like it a lot. Um, Mike Mustakas to the Braves, right? There was there was never really a good third base market, you know. And then the Angels went out and got Kozar, and the Giants traded for uh, Evan Longoria. So who still needs a third baseman? The Yankees, the Mets, probably. I'm going to say the Braves, and I, I like this because Mustakas is actually on the younger side, and I don't think the Braves are going to compete this year, but they're not that far away, like a year from now. And if you think about their lineup, Freeman is awesome. We're both big fans of Ozzy Albies. Ronald Acuna is going to be up this year. Ender Inciarte, Swanson Flowers. It's a pretty decent lineup with no third baseman whatsoever. Right now, their third baseman are Johan Carmargo and Rio Ruiz, who are real baseball players. <laughs> Ruiz was in the... Uh... Evan Gattis trade. Great. <laughs> he sure was. Margo's got a great arm, I think, stack has. I, but I think, I think you're actually better. right about that. Um, and I know what Braves fans are immediately going to say. What about Austin Riley? He was a very good prospect. He sure is. He's also 20 years old, and he had a 310 on base in A-ball last year, and then got promoted and tore up double A, and that's fine. Um, but I'll file this under the uh, a good problem to have. You know, if it, Austin Riley is probably not going to be full-time ready until like 2020, maybe. And if that happens, he's still great. And Mustakas is like, wonderful. Things are wonderful. Um, but I think right now, this is this is time for the Braves to buy. I think it's a good opportunity for them. Yeah, on Fangrass, the depth chart projection they do by, by uh, projected war uh, via steamer by each position. Um, Braves third baseman currently ranked 30th 
in projected value. That's uh, wait, that's that's bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reason why I think the Yankees are not a fit from on paper, the Yankees actually feel like a great fit for Mustakis, but because of the collective bargaining agreement, uh, the Yankees exceeded the luxury tax last year, and Mustakis got a qualifying offer. So. If they sign Mustakas, they have to give up two draft picks plus international slot money, which to me, for Mustakas, because they're not going to send him to a long-term deal. If they were going to send him to a long-term deal, maybe you consider it if you think, oh, this guy's our third base in the future. But they'd probably want to sign him to like one, you know, one-year pillow contract. Right. You don't give up all that for one no. year of a player, particularly when you can't offer him the qualifying offer next year because he got one this year. I agree with you. Uh, on the same, on the, basically the exact same argument, but for Jake Arrieta of the Phillies. Like I kind of look at the Phillies and the Braves as being in a very similar spot where they weren't really planning to contend until next year, but the market is in their favor. And you can get, I feel like if, let's say they add Arietta, I actually like the Phillies lineup a lot, right? Their young lineup is pretty interesting, especially they got Carlos Santana. The rotation, I like Aaron Nola. He's real good. Uh, Pavetta, Eikhoff, Velasquez, and Leiter. That's that's thin. So you add a, a veteran guy like Arietta, you get to 80 wins this year. Things go well. Wild card contention next year. That's I mean, a- I, you don't even. It could be. It could even be this year. Frankly, I mean, the 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 thing with the Phillies is you kind of know at some point in the next couple of years they're going to really jump into the free agent market. You know, prior to signing Santana, Odubel Herrera was the only player they had guaranteed under contract uh, for this year, like beyond this year. Um, and he's on a very you know sort of team friendly like extension that he signed. Very early, so they they're going to have financial flexibility because even the, some of their best young players aren't really going to hit big arbitration numbers. Nola's not going to hit big arbitration number for like four years. So the I think most people assumed they'd be big players next year and probably be heavy on Harper, heavy on Machado, that group. But if the opportunity is there this year, Arietta d- does does make sense. Who else you got? Uh, Todd Frazier to the Brewers. Travis Shaw is very upset right now. Go on. <laughs> well, the reason why is because right now they've got two good corner guys, Shaw and Eric Thames, two left-handed hitters, um, both susceptible to platoon, platoon platoon splits. And I just think that Frazier is not going to cost a lot of money. The Braves, Brewers are clearly trying to make some moves in free agency. And Frazier is a guy who can fill in at both corners and give them some real depth. To me, it makes a lot of sense. So you, you want Frazier and you don't want to move either of the other guys, just kind of as like a multi-positional I just think that basically anytime a left-handed guy. pitcher starts, Frazier okay. plays at first or third. And again, injuries, depth, you just you just never know. You're right. I mean, neither one of those guys have a long track record of success. And he was traded, so there's not going to be a qualifying offer. And he's not going to get a massive contract. I mean, I could see Frazier not wanting to go someplace where there's not an obvious sure. you know starting spot. So like that might sort of complicate it. But that's a team where marginal upgrades could be really have a big impact, and I think Frazier would be uh, a nice upgrade for them. I have, t- I have two more, and one I already know you agree with. Lucas Duda to the Astros. I was looking at uh, MLB trade rumors yesterday. Lucas Duda has not been mentioned in a rumor in two months. Isn't that wild? Like, he hit 30 home runs last year. Over the last three years, his his uh, triple slash is the same as Eric Cosmer's. He hasn't even been mentioned in a rumor. It's, yeah, it's... L- Lucas Duda has, has suffered from being asked to do things – he was not put in position to succeed for much of his career. You know, the Mets tried to force him in the outfield. That did not go well. Um, and then at first base, he was passable. But then, of course, he made the infamous throw in the World Series that sort of, I think, really labeled him in a lot of people's minds as just sort of like a terrible first baseman. He wasn't a good one, but... He's fine. He's, he's... But the thing is, he's really a DH. He should really should be a DH slash first baseman slash bench bat. 
And, and in that role, he is a huge asset. The guy can hit. Yeah, and if you think about the Astros, fantastic lineup last year, indisputably the best in baseball. But Carlos Beltran was a black hole. He had like the worst year of his career. Now he's retired. And if you look at the Astros lineup right now, it's very right-handed. Uh, Josh Reddick and McCann are lefties, and Marlon Gonzalez is a switch hitter. But otherwise, everybody's right-handed. And if you look at Duda, the way this would fit is Yuri Gurriel is the first baseman who's right-handed, and Evan Gaddis is the DH who's right-handed. Pretty easy to see a lefty like Duda coming in and getting some significant at-bats at first base or DH. Better him than you know Tyler White, who I think might be the guy, but he's right-handed as well. Uh, so you could say, okay, Logan Morrison, whatever. It's the same exact idea. For a team that really doesn't need anything, this would be perfect for them. Yeah, no, it, uh, I, I, I mean, I'm sure the Astros value Lucas. I, to me, I actually think this one's going to happen. This is like the one. I, <laughs> well, we've heard no rumors. We're just yeah, inventing. This. But like they can just, they can, they can just, you know, they know there's, there's no, there's not a real market out for him because obviously Hosmer's still out there, um, Logan Morrison's still out there. Um, so I think teams are just kind of. There's probably a few teams that are sort of waiting for all this to settle and hoping that like the longer it goes, they can get. Due to for you know get virtually like, nothing. He's gonna get like a year and four million dollars. He's gonna be an absolute crime for someone. You have any more? Or are you all done? Uh, Neil Walker. Okay. To the Yankees. I like it. Um, they don't really have a second baseman. Neil Walker is nothing if not consistent. He's a good player. He's not that old. Um, you know, I don't draft two thousand four out of high school, so you know, 31, 32. It's he's a fit. I mean, I actually looked. He, I knew he played third base in the minors. I thought maybe he could play some third base. Him. He only played like twenty games in the big leagues. Third, but I, but, la- been, but last year he played some. So I, he, I mean, for a team that needs a second baseman or a third baseman, he's yeah. kind of a perfect fit. He, I've always found him to be very underrated. He, he is consistently like fifteen to twenty points above average every single year, and he's got some health concerns for sure. He's not a great fielder for sure. Um, but the Yankees don't need like a superstar. They need someone confident. They need and, someone basically to hit eighth in their lineup. Yeah, and if it turns out that these. Uh, the, the you know Torres and Andahar are both instant superstars, and you have to trade Walker at the deadline. Cool. I mean, this is a great problem to have. I agree and, with that. And the thing about Walker is because he he I mean I guess he was traded, so we didn't get the um, get the qualifying offer, so he's not going to cost anything in terms of compensation. Do you have any more? I have one more. Everybody's going to hate it. JD Martinez to the Cubs. All right. I know. I know. National League team, no DH. The Cubs have a lot. Of, fine. I get it. Imagine a lineup with the middle of the lineup being JD Martinez, Rizzo. Bryant, Schwarber, and Wilson Contreras with the possible breakouts from Russell and Javi Baez. So you're, you're suggesting yes. playing Martinez and Schwarber in the same outfield? Yes. Well, not not all the time. But listen, here's how I'm envisioning a couple of platoon situations, right? So in left field, you'd have Schwarber and Albert Amora, right? Amora is a pretty good outfielder. Uh, in center field, you have Hayward and Amora. And I get it. You know, Hayward, you're paying him so much, but he's shown no ability to hit. I don't think he actually deserves uh, an everyday spot unless he, he shows these in order. And then in right field, you have Martinez and, and also Hayward, right? Uh, you can have Zobrist, who, by the way, is 36 years old and didn't hit last year, so I'm not holding a spot for him, but he can play all over. He'd have him go to the minors. He could be a backup. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I think this is a situation where the Cubs are a really good team, right? Are they a lot better than the Cardinals right now? I don't know that they are. Are they better than the Dodgers or the Nationals? I'd say no. Like I still think that they have they have moves to make. No, I, th- I actually think that because of the way the we talked earlier about the way the Cardinals have kind of streamlined their roster and really set themselves up of like, okay, here's the guys we want to be. There's no more... You know, no longer are they going to be shoved, making Mike Matheny decide, oh, do I play Grichik? But it's like, okay, no, here's the players you have. You know, you, Fam and, and Martinez are playing, whether you like it or not, because right. this is your roster. I think the, the almost, it's not that I don't like Piscotti or Grichik in particular, but it's in a weird way, it's sort of addition by sub- subtraction, because I think they are really putting their, their best ros- roster on the field. 
adding Ozuna, I still think they're, they're going to add maybe a reliever. I don't love Greg Holland, but he's still an upgrade there. Yeah. I don't think it'll be him, but I, I agree with the latter reliever. And if you look at the projections right now, I think the Cardinals are like six games back of the Cubs. And I think they might be underselling it a little bit because uh, the projections haven't fully bought into Tommy Pham or Paul DeYoung or even Marcelo Zuna, you know, and, and obviously there's a lot of risk there, but if those guys play like they did last year, that's a pretty good lineup. I don't really buy into DeYoung, but I do no, buy I don't into either. Azuna and Pham. And, and? Jose Martinez. Oh, yeah, that guy. Bringing it all the way back around. Anyway, it's not going to happen. I will, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, other than maybe Lucas Duda to the Astros, literally not one of these things will happen. But we're at the time in the winter where it's time to get creative. You know, if, if it's not going to be the guys to the places we thought it was going to be, let's go. Let's get weird about it. Uh, that's our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StackCast Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.